Welcome to The Favorites, the podcast from the Action Network. I'm Chad Millman. NFL season is over. I crushed. I dominated. I was so good. And at the end of NFL season, I like to reflect. I like to take stock. I like to think about what the podcast can be when it's not NFL season, when it's not just me and Scooch going through every single game. And the truth is right now, since gambling became legal, every single person is trying to do a picks podcast and doing it in any way that makes them feel distinguished from the other picks podcasts. And the truth is the best podcasts about picking are on the Action Network. They are Jason Sobel and Peter Jennings talking about golf. They are Colin Wilson and Stucky and Mike Randall talking about college basketball. We don't need another Picks podcast right now. So I want to find a way to expand the funnel of what we do, broaden the tent, get more people under the umbrella, and explain how topics that are happening every day in the world of sports impact sports betting and how sports betting impacts you guys as fans. So that's what I want to try to do today. We're going to tackle a bunch of topics We're going to talk about the six-figure NASCAR bet that the Action Network has made, thanks to our NASCAR editor, PJ Walsh. And we're going to introduce some new voices from here at the Action Network, because I want to talk about gambling the way we talk about it here, with people who are more obsessed about it than you are. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about Pete Rose, wanting to get back into baseball. We're going to talk about the XFL. I am going to do it with Matt Mitchell, senior producer at the Action Network on the phone from Milwaukee. I'm going to do it with Colin Wilson, senior everything writer calling in from Tulsa. I'm going to do it with Katie Rich Creek, who runs all of our NFL and fantasy coverage, who's calling in from Denver. What's going on, everybody? Matt Mitchell, how you doing, buddy? Doing great here in America's Dairyland, Chad. Katie? Freezing, but hanging in there. Colin? I mean, I live in Oklahoma. We had a tornado and then a sleet storm and then a snowstorm. These two have their regular climates. It's predictable weather. I live in the armpit of the weather part of the United States. I mean, it's always something new. It's true. You do. And I think you can describe it not just as the armpit of weather, but some people would call it the armpit of everything. Absolutely. And the thing is, people are like, why don't you go in your basements when you have a tornado? Do people not realize the state of Oklahoma is a floodplain? So we can't have basements. So we can't hide from the tornadoes. I will listen. You can't hide from this podcast either. Here we go. We're kicking off something entirely new here. The first thing we are talking about, let's call it the main thing. The main thing. The XFL. The reason we're talking about the XFL is threefold. One, the ratings were really big for ABC, ESPN, and Fox. meant a lot of people watched. Two, the handle on the XFL was 20% higher than it was for the AAF, which launched last year and then famously failed. Number three, they talked a lot about gambling during the broadcast of the XFL. I actually found it distracting. I felt like they were trying too hard. Every other sentence out of Tom Hart's mouth when he was broadcasting the Dallas-St. Louis game was talking about the over-under, talking about the total, talking about the first half over-under. They had a graphic talking about what the future odds were for who's going to win the XFL championship. I loved the score bug. I loved how they were leaning into it generally. I loved a lot of things about the broadcast. I didn't love the incessant conversation. I felt like they're trying too hard to differentiate from everything else that is going on in, in football broadcasting. Kater Rich Creek, give me your take. I would say that extends to the rest of the broadcast as well. I appreciate the idea behind the on-field interviews as players are coming off. And they were entertaining. However, I did ultimately find them distracting. I didn't think they added a ton of value in the long run. But yeah, to your point, Chad, I do think that they were just talking about betting too much. And really all I needed was 
what the lines were at the top of the broadcast and if it mattered as the game was unfolding. But other than having the spread and the total just on the screen, I don't, I don't think they needed to do a whole lot more than that. Other than agreeing with me, I think the rest of your take is horrible. <laughs> hey, I watched that live F-bomb and it was, it was great. It was entertaining. I laughed. I enjoyed the moment. Hanks are pushing and shoving. We're trying to get our fucking job done. I mostly, I think my, my qualm was with the player interviews. I don't think they really want it. I don't really want it. They're not offering me a whole lot in the moment. All right. Well, they could pull that back. Gosh, I can't believe how much I disagree with you. Colin Wilson, I think you would agree with me that I feel like I'm playing uh, Dana Carvey in the McLaughlin skit in Saturday Night Live, which Katie informed me the other day. It was like she was born today when I told her about this. But in this case, I actually feel like Dana Carvey because you're wrong, Katie Rich Creek. Tony Listen, th- this is a beautiful product. It- it- it's going to be great. We need the announcers to stop talking about the gambling lines because we have bullshit meters. Those of us that gamble on games like frequently, like every day, we understand what the number is. I can't wait. We will hit peak gambling XFL when June Jones goes for a three-point conversion. And then he tells the reporter, I did it to cover the spread. To me, that's going to be just ratings gold. But, you know, from another standpoint, I think it's a beautiful product. There were only 11 penalties in four games this weekend. The flow of it, I thought, was much better than an NFL game. From a consumer standpoint, it was great to watch. A 25-second clock, field position rules on kicking, a three-point conversion, which nobody went for. And then the stupid coaches that went for one-point conversions when, obviously, expected point says you should go for two-point conversions. I loved it from a gambling standpoint. Now, everybody has a little bit of football fatigue right now. So I kind of wish this was July and August. But other than that, I thought it was a great product. Matt Mitchell, did you bet on the XFL? Yeah, of course I did. It was a thing with a result and therefore was was eligible to be gambled upon. And if I'm going to bet on the things like, you know, the birth of my own children, I'm certainly going to bet on men playing football. I agree with some of the things said here. One of the interesting things is the player and coaches in-game interviews is always a hot button for me just because I always find that distasteful because they're being paid to play a game, whether that's baseball or football or whenever they interview them while it's still going on. I, I don't like when they blur the lines of media obligations and the actual sport. But in terms of the XFL's existence, I think it's delightful in that I'm always looking for something else to gamble on. I don't have to, but it's nice to have more things on the menu. I'd like to treat my gambling appetite with a, you know, more of a Waffle House menu and less of a, of a small plate tapas restaurant. And you know, unlike Katie, also, I could remember the original XFL debut. Um, she was probably negative 14 years old when that happened, but it was awful. It was not a good product in this. I'm, I'm happy to see it was a big step in the right direction. So I had dinner with someone last night. I can't say who. But I will tell you, they were asking me all these questions about gambling on the XFL, asking me, how do you know anything? How are bookmakers making these lines? Colin is like the most experienced, most professional gambler of this quartet. How would you even consider handicapping something like the XFL? And why would you, other than, you know, Mitchell being a true degen and needing to bet on something, what's your take on that? Well, of course, every coach and every quarterback has an assigned point value. I mean, yes, Matt McGloin has a point value. June Jones has a point value. And that's where the point spreads came into existence. Now, where they came up with the totals, and I know the one Vegas book that came up with a total of 40, and that thing took a rocket ship up to 52 and a half. With these rules in mind, this is going to be a crapshoot for bookmakers. They're going to be blindfolded and throwing a dart when they look at some of these totals. It's going to get better over time. Players are going to get better. Coaches are going to get better. But, you know, at the same 
same time, I'm staring at box scores right now. I can see that the Vipers went over four in the red zone and and people don't think Tressman can call an offense. He can. So, you know, the, the bookmakers are, are going to be trying to be smart about plays per game and, and yards and, and then the rules. But I think they did a really bad job with totals in the first week. These players haven't played in one to three years. Uh, the coaches haven't coached in years. So the nerves should be out by now. I think some points are going to roll in. I cannot believe we just did a podcast where you're like, the Vipers were 0 for 4 in the red zone. Everyone thinks Mark Tressman can't call a play in the red zone. Of course he can. I cannot believe that was just a take for a team that has played one game in a league that did not exist 80 hours ago. If there's an edge in the market, I don't care what the sport is. I don't care if it's a hot dog eating contest, a bandy. I don't care if it's StarCraft II or League of Legends. I, I, I'll bet on it if there's an edge. Katie, you watched a lot of XFL this weekend. You ran our coverage heading into the weekend. If you were betting right now on a team to win the XFL title, who would it be? On our preview podcast of the XFL last week, I know Sean Corner talked a lot about Vipers being number one in his power ratings. They were favored going into the season. They lost terribly in week one, and now they're down to plus 600 at FanDuel. So there's a lot of volatility in the futures market, obviously, just coming out of week one based on those first four games. Chris Raybon actually made a good point about the Vipers in that they are at home for three of their final five games, and there was significant home field advantage in week one. The average scoring margin for home teams was 11 and a half points. Um, and they went three and one against the spread. So I do think that will factor in down the stretch for them. So I think if you're looking to buy low on a team right now, even though the first week sample size was not great for the Vipers, I think it's worth taking a flyer on them. Not now though. Just let me interject real quick. They're going to Seattle. Longest travel you could possibly have in all XFL. And I don't think Seattle was as bad as they showed in week one. But if the Vipers have problems on the road here, I don't know what the weather's going to be in Seattle. Probably rain. But if we can get an 0-2 Vipers team where they've just whiffed in the red zone two weeks in a row, it's going to be so such a great number next week. That is a very fair point, Colin. Oh my God. That is the most classic Colin Wilson. Look ahead. I've heard you make the same point about Illinois basketball and the futures on Illinois being a better value after the end of February before they get into the conference tournament because their February schedule is so hard. That is as inside as it gets. Colin Wilson, I'm almost speechless at the analysis. It happens across all the sports. People see and then people want to bet. So when they see Houston and June Jones score all these points, they think this is the best team. I should bet them now. And it's the same thing with college basketball. It, teams just don't do well on the road. In certain conferences like the Big Ten, it's been a huge home road split. And you have to be able to look at when the pitfalls and where the peaks of the schedule are going to be and know when the right time to buy is. It's not about picking the right team. It's about picking the right value at the right time. All right, Matt, we gave you an assignment. You are our senior producer. You live in the middle of nowhere, so there's not much for you to do for us here at the Action Network. So I'm constantly trying to think of things that will keep you occupied. What did I assign you? What did you assign me? You you told me to, quote, hit the streets of Milwaukee and find out what totally normal Midwestern idiots think about the XFL. That was your uh, assignment. I would never call anyone in the Midwest and even people in Milwaukee idiots being a Midwesterner myself and having spent a lot of time in the state of Wisconsin. I think you should amend that statement. I certainly didn't share the name of the segment with my fellow Milwaukeeans here in the Paris of the Midwest, but they were more than happy to talk about the XFL. All right, let's go here. We got. We've heard from gambling experts, but what about everybody else? Let's talk with totally normal Midwestern idiots. What did you think of the debut of the XFL? I don't even know what the XFL is. Does that sound like something you would like? Absolutely not. What is it? 
What's it sound like? It sounds like a really intense NFL. It's like video game football. That does not sound attractive to you? No, I don't think so. I think my husband would love it, though. Uh, every NFL preseason ends, and I think to myself, where can I get some more of that hot Matt McGloin action? Oh, baby, I love the XFL. Don't like it, this idea. I wish uh, they would stop that because, you know, I'm only interested to see only NFL. This is a really demanding game, and it's once in a week, and that's what I think about it. Well, I think it's, uh, hopefully it's going to go over for them. Uh, I don't know if they're, they're going to be bucking the NBA. They're going to be bucking March Madness, pitchers and catches report this week. We'll see how far it goes, but uh, I think it might be a good idea to have a feeder into the NFL. Well, I, uh, I watched it, and now I don't have to watch it anymore. All right, Matt, that was uh, as riveting <laughs> as, as I expected it to be. Let's move on. The next thing. The next thing. Last week, Pete Rose petitioned Major League Baseball for reinstatement because of the Astros cheating scandal. If you are amongst the people who feels like one plus one did not equal two with Pete Rose's logic, you can include me in your group. Guys, I'm not getting this. I feel like Pete Rose is not doing himself any favors. But I do think the fact that MLB is starting to think about gambling will cause people to start to rethink how they feel about Pete Rose being banned from baseball. Matt Mitchell, tell me what you think of Pete Rose trying to do this. I think the timing is interesting. The logic of the petition is is interesting. It doesn't necessarily carry water with me, but the fact that he's held out of the Hall of Fame just seems silly. I have I have some friends that work for the Hall of Fame and they're always quick to remind you that it's a museum, which is not only the kind of thing a nerd would say, but it's also true. It's it's not a Hall of Fame and always in a traditional sense it's it's focused on being a museum and as a historical figure, Pete Rose is integral to baseball history more than almost any of its other inductees with a few exceptions. So the fact that he's kind of a huge piece of shit doesn't mean he should be precluded from being in the Hall of Fame. If being a, a sexist or a racist or a monster or a gambler or whatever kept you out of the Hall of Fame, it, it'd have a lot fewer members anyway. He just did a really bad job of covering his tracks and, and was kind of unapologetic about it. And they want to keep him out and I get it, but it certainly seems like it's high time for them to say, screw it and just let him in. Katie, Pete Rose, bad timing, bad idea. What say you? Bad timing and the logic doesn't make total sense. They're not perfect one-to-one comparisons. But ultimately, if the heart of the issue is that what the Astros did and what Rose did jeopardized the integrity of the game, then he does have a valid argument that his lifetime ban does look a little bit unfair compared to how the MLB ultimately handled Hinch and, and Luno. Wow, Katie, making a little bit of a comeback after your horrible XFL take. I like how you found the connection there. <laughs> Good. I had to bounce back. In you your did. Favor. You did because you were losing this podcast, but now you've climbed back in. Colin Wilson, let's see if you can take the lead. I hate to be a party pooper here and I, I hate to, you know, crap all over Matt's take, but absolutely not. He should not be in the Hall of Fame. And I coach 13 year old baseball. I show my son Pete Rose and George Brett on how to dive into third base, you know, how to play the game as hard as possible. I mean, the problem is <laughs> he bet on MLB every single day of 1986 as a player and a coach. He even bet on the Reds. Now, it showed that he didn't bet against the Reds, but he bet on the Reds. Reinstating Pete is one thing, but the Hall of Fame isn't actually going to vote him in. I mean, there's still a voting process, but reinstating Pete tells all athletes it's okay to bet on sports, including your own team. Oh, here's a notebook. He bet on the Reds every day as a coach and a player. 
He could make decision whether he was at first base or not, or he was just going to coach the game. And then he could bet on the game and he bet 2000 apiece. So absolutely not. If Pete had only bet on the NFL or only bet on the NBA, I would be way more sympathetic. But when it's a team you coach and play on, no way. I'm sorry. Do you bet on your 13-year-old kids' baseball games? Uh, with my assistant coach, we do. We bet uh, individually as each player comes up to bat, whether he sees a second strike, because these kids just, they can't take a pitch. <laughs> <laughs> what, are, what are the stakes? I have more cash on me than, than my assistant coach. My poor assistant coach is a pastor. So he's got like ones to, you know, he's got some quarters in his pocket. We'll bet for. So he likes to bet. He doesn't like to tell his wife. He doesn't like to tell the congregation that he bets, but everybody in the South goes to church and they bet and they won't tell you that they bet and drink, but they do. So you just outed your pastor as being a better on 13 year old baseball and kind of went after him for how much money he's got. Yeah, but the thing is, is he's he subscribed to the Action Network podcast, not to the favorites. So as long as I don't get him subscribed <laughs> to the favorites, I'm in good shape. <laughs> uh, make, make sure he never learns about the favorites. You know what I love about the Action Network? The fact that just about everybody bets on everything, and that's the whole point. I would say we have more meetings interrupted by deep size from Mike Leboff, one of our editors, than we have anything else. I'll be in front of a whiteboard. I'll be making a grand speech. I'll be inspiring our team. And then I don't know where Leboff will just go. <sighs> and I'm thinking to myself, he's taking it in. And then I realize Leboff has like money on darts, or he's got money on cricket, or he's got money on tennis, and it's airing in the middle of the day. Last week, Leboff was all over snooker. Here's his story. So this was the text I got while I was at work. It was from an associate of mine who I've known from back in my bartending days. And when you work at the kind of bar I did, you're going to come into contact with all sorts of characters. And most of them are going to love to gamble. This guy was no different. He was also another bartender. He was an Irish guy. And to be honest, I kind of trust him with my life. So when he told me that he heard from his source overseas that there was about to be a snooker match in England where one of the players had a really bad case of the gout. I dropped everything at work and got ready to bet it. It was a personal bet for me because back on New Year's Eve 2016, my foot was throbbing. It was so bad that I couldn't press down on the gas pedal in the car. I had to have somebody drive me to the doctor on New Year's Eve. And he comes into the office, he looks at me, and he says, congratulations, son. You're the youngest patient I've ever had to diagnose with the gout. So that rocked my world. And then now knowing that I could finally come full circle and beat gout by betting against it, I was just jumping at the chance. I was so excited that I told everybody at the Action Network, I said, hey, look, there's this guy and he's got really bad gout and he's going to try to play through it in his snooker match tomorrow. We should probably all fade him. And since I work with a bunch of freaks, everybody jumped on it. Despite none of us knowing the rules of snooker, we all thought, you know what? Let's go for it. It's not every day you get to bet against a guy because he's got the gout. And it looked good at first. Like our guy, the guy with the gout, he's sitting in the corner, his legs extended. He looked like he was suffering through an attack. But it turns out this was the snooker equivalent of the Jordan flu game. And we got buried. Some of my colleagues were mad at me for the tip. But the important thing is we got to cross off betting against somebody with gout in snooker from our gambling bucket list. And you don't get to do that every day. Thank you, Leboff. All right, we got another thing. This one is serious, okay? Another thing. 
Baylor is the number one team in the country. They've got, as of right now, a 21-game winning streak, which is one shy of the Big 12 record that Kansas set in 1997. One of their best players is Macy O'Teague. Last week, Macy O'Teague was at the free throw line. He had a chance to put Baylor up by six points in a game in which the spread was five. He missed a free throw. Baylor still easily won the game. They did not cover. And Macy O'Teague experienced what it's like to get hazed by gambling Twitter, something that I know all of us experience on a regular basis. It is not pretty. And then Jeff Goodman of Stadium, very good college basketball reporter, did a piece in which he sort of commented on Macy O'Teague and people on Twitter coming after him for this and made a connection to the fact that sports betting being legal is now something people are going to have to deal with on a more regular basis for this. I don't agree with the behavior. I don't necessarily agree with Jeff's premise either, because this has been going on forever. It's been going on for fantasy, and there's been gamblers on Twitter long before gambling was legal. So Katie Rich Creek, I'm going to give you one more chance to take a very big lead in the podcast. I want to hear your take on Jeff's angle on this. I think you're right. And I don't want you to think I'm only agreeing with you to stay in your good favor. But yeah, no, I, I don't think it's it's anything new. However, I do think, generally speaking, it's one thing to complain about a player for botching your bet or swinging your fantasy matchup on Twitter, but it's an entirely different thing to slide into his DMs, which is what was happening in this case. And if you are a grown adult going as so far as to slide into the DMs of a 19 or 20-year-old kid, that's a tough look, and your problems extend far past losing that bet. Katie going after just people sliding into DMs generally. That's an interesting take. <laughs> Matt, as someone who, you, before you were married, probably slid into people's DMs, do you feel sensitive to that? I, I don't like Twitter scolds any more than I like gambling scolds. And generally, I, I'd like to support people who want to uh, attack unpaid amateurs online, but I, it is so incredibly distasteful to aim it directly at the players and to tag them and to slide into their DMs. That is, that is gross. Like, like I have a in my neighborhood, we have, a, we have an alley behind the house, and that's where everybody goes into their garages. And when it snows a lot, which it does all the time in Wisconsin, I have a neighbor named Dan, and Dan snow blows the front of all the garages so everyone can get in. And no one asks him to do this. No one pays him to do this. Dan's just a real nice guy, good neighbor. If Dan opened my garage door and he filled my garage with that snow just because he was mad at me, I would talk tons of shit about Dan all over the neighborhood. I wouldn't yell at him though, because he wasn't getting paid to do that. That's not his job. You can get screamed at for anything you get paid to do. But if you're an unpaid amateur athlete, that's a great reason to pay these kids because first rodeo betters. I mean, Macy O.T. got an $11 Venmo request from a gambler. $11. This guy blew up Macy O.T. an hour after the game. If you're so mad about $11, I remember my first bet too. Like you got to grow up. Colin, would you yell at your pastor if he gave a bad sermon? <laughs> I would ask the collection plate to stop in my lap so I could take it all if he gave a bad sermon. No, <laughs> I, I mean, listen, if I had $11, $11 Venmo request, if I had $11 every time a college basketball player screwed me on a point spread by like one point, I could pay off Brett Bielema's Arkansas buyout. That's how much money I would have. It's a new reality, but the gamblers were here before. They've all we've always been around years before this one instance. Nick Brosett was an LSU running back that fell down at the goal line, and Arkansas covered seven and a half. He'll get it for you here. Oh, he goes down just shy of the line. 
he does not want to score. <laughs> oh, there's some folks very, yeah, very the line on this game. Oh, boy. That was a couple weeks before Todd Gurley decided to do the same thing against the Packers, right? Fall down at the goal line. And this is just our new reality. It's just it's just getting more attention now because gambling's becoming legalized. This has always been going on. Everybody's used to growing up in a culture where things are so hush, right? Gambling was taboo. You can't talk about it out loud. You know, even my tax attorneys like have, I mean, finally my tax attorneys like asking me questions because of the new legalization of stuff. So it's just a new world that we live in and there's more exposure to the idiots. And I think as a sports gambling community, we need to be happy that all this is being legalized. But at the same time, we have a responsibility to educate and patrol our community. I might turn my take around a little bit. I'm going to do about 90 degrees. Because I do think that maybe what Jeff is saying in this piece is that the expansion of gambling might create more of an opportunity for people to go after athletes who cause them to miss out on winning bets is that there's more amateurs in the market and amateurs don't know how to behave. They don't know how to handle winning. They don't know how to handle losing. Colin, I think that's kind of what you're saying, right? Yeah, there's not an exponential increase in wise guys and there's not an exponential increase of people that are doing this correctly. There's an exponential increase of new gamblers that are new to betting and don't know how to handle themselves. And they act immature when they lose bets and uh, they like to brag too much when they win. So that's just the new world we live in. And Colin, I do want to point out that I, I think you and I and everyone at the Action Network is totally okay with feeling victimized by and screaming at players and coaches. Like I, after that UMass Akron football game, I tweeted, mm-hmm. Isaiah Rogers of UMass might be the worst fucking defensive player in America. I didn't tag him. But he was the first person to like that tweet. Yes. But the point is, I don't you don't reach out and try to find those people to say to their faces like my neighbor, Dan, you just talk shit behind their backs and then you vent and then it's over. Well, I think I think the important thing from my Twitter standpoint is that when I see some funky stuff happening in a game, I will clip it and I will put it on my Twitter Mm -hmm, feed mm -hmm. and I will say, wow, look at this. This is awfully strange. And by the way, here was the total or here was the point spread. Right. You just said something really interesting, Colin, which was you're clipping stuff, saying it's really interesting. Is the inference or the connection supposed to be that you think there was something in terms of a fix? You thought someone was aware of what the point spread was? You thought someone was aware of what the total was? Don't act like these coaches don't know what the point spread is because Lane Kiffin up by what, seven, with a point spread of five and a half or six, ran his punter purposefully through the end zone causing a safety, beating Marshall by five. He acknowledged it, got hopped on Twitter and made a joke about it. So these coaches absolutely know what the point spread is. And, you know, it didn't change the way that Lane coached the game, but they're aware of exactly what the number is. All right, well, listen, speaking of people who know gambling, we got one more segment here. We opened it up to my followers on Twitter and I said to them, come on the show. If you've got a gambling specific trivia question that you think can stump our team and they do it, we're going to give them a free Action Network Edge subscription. All right, joining us now, our very first contestant in our gambling trivia segment, which we haven't even named yet. Mitchell, we got to get on that. We got to think of a name for this. I think you might have put one in the rundown and... You don't know splits. I don't, I don't think I like that. We're going, to come up, <laughs> we're going to come up with the new name. Our first contestant is Connor Lynch who was one of the many people that DM me, but I liked his question the best. Welcome to the Favorites Podcast. Good to be here. 
I'm in law school at the University of Missouri. Woo, go Tigers. Yeah, there we go. And Connor gets the pleasure of driving down to Pittsburgh, Kansas, just an hour away and registering for points bet and be able to place a bet on his phone legally. Yes, there we go. Made a couple trips to Iowa over to Council Bluffs to get some stuff in there. So doing what we got to do. What do you like to gamble on? Mostly football, hockey, the over, and pretty much anything I can find. So, Oh, Connor, you'd fit in fine here at the Action Network. <laughs> All right, Connor, listen, you sent in a trivia question last night. I have not shared it with our panelists. If you stump us, then you get a free subscription to the Action Network Edge. Are you ready? I'm ready. Which wide receiver was most profitable for reception overs in the 2019 regular season? And this is assuming all bets were uh, made to win one unit. Matt Mitchell. To go over consistently, it means you have to keep exceeding expectations, which would tell me that you'd have to have very low expectations to start the year. So my guess is going to be DJ Moore. I'm going to go with an SEC guy that I loved, and Russell Wilson fell in love with him at the end of the season. I'm worried about the beginning of the season, mm. but DK Metcalf was starting mm. to be the tip ball, jump ball guy. So I'm going to go with DK Metcalf. Yeah. I am not applying Mitchell's logic, and I'm going to go with <laughs> Michael Thomas. Katie Rich Creek, I was going to go with that. All right. Then I am going to go Keenan Allen. Keenan Allen ended up with negative one unit on the season, but the other guesses were all strong. DJ Moore came in third, uh, mm. getting just under seven units total. Michael Thomas came in second with 7.3 units. The exact number on DK Metcalf, right around even, just a little bit above. But with 7.6 units, uh, went 11 and 3 and 2, was Devontae Parker from Miami. Oh, wow. Yeah. So yeah. does that mean I effectively win? So Michael Thomas went 12 and 4. Devontae Parker went 11 and 3 and 2. So if you want to give yourself a win, that's, no, that's fine. But no, on Devontae Katie. Parker, we're better throughout this season. No, Katie's line that my logic was flawed <laughs> rules her ineligible. Because oh, yeah. yeah. my logic was flawless. More importantly, Connor wins because he stumped us. There we go. Connor, you are the first winner of an Action Network Edge subscription on the latest version of The Favorites in which you stumped us all with your trivia question about betting. Awesome. There we go. Thank you, guys. I think you have a fabulous career as a lawyer and a better ahead of you. That's the goal. That's the goal. Something to aspire to. Connor Lynch (laughs) from Kansas City, law student at University of Missouri. Thank you so much for coming on The Favorites. Yep. Thanks for having me, Chad. Before we go, as promised, we have a six-figure potential win riding on a NASCAR grouper here at the Action Network. A grouper is when all of us go in on the same bet. PJ Walsh, our NASCAR editor, pinged the entire team about a month and a half ago and said, listen, I got a bet on NASCAR that we can get a ton of value on right now. He explained what he did to us. So the bet I convinced everybody to make at the Action Network is Ross Chastain to win the Daytona 500. Because I say jump, and you say how high. In all serious though, Ross Chastain was priced as a long shot of 201. So I, I want to say the Action Network is close to a seven-figure liability on this, since we all got down to the good number. Uh, that line is down to 50 to 1 to 60 to 1, depending upon the book. So we have a ton of value on it already. Uh, the key reason it's a good bet is because Chastain is actually getting support from Chip Ganassi Racing which, if you don't follow the sport, is one of the best teams in NASCAR. So he was priced as a what we call a backmarker, but he's actually one of the best rides. And you can see the difference in the market now at 50 to 1. One bit of warning, I have a long history of betting Chastain. He wins and then fails post-race inspection. And that basically means your bet is a loser. 
So good luck with that. All right, folks, that is our show. That is The Favorites. We're going to come back next week. New panelists, new topics, new guests with new trivia questions. Until next time, download from Apple, from Spotify, from wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. Thank you.